Well, good morning, everyone. What a fantastic Memorial Day weekend, huh? Yeah, sweet. Uh, and it's good to be with you uh, wherever you're finding yourself in life, whether you're out at a campground or uh, on a boat somewhere or just hanging out in this room. We're so glad to have you with us today. We're in a third week of a series called The Way Forward. And with this series, we're really trying to answer, attempt to answer a really great question that Brady posed earlier in the series. And the question goes like this. What can you do when you don't know what to do? Punt. See you next week. Oh, yeah. No, in other words, um, when you, what can you do when you make such a mess of the situation or of your life that you just can't seem to find a way forward? Like those times when you've run out of answers. And as you look down the road, you feel more or less hopeless. Now, like Brady mentioned uh, last week, we as pastors, we have regular conversations with people who have reached moments like that for all sorts of reasons. And they can't see past the mess that's in their life. They can't see past the present reality. All that to say is we need to find a way forward from time to time, and that's what this series is all about. So, now, I would like you to, uh, to get us going today. I want you to imagine that you are a new parent. And you've been coddling this newborn for about three months now. And you and your spouse have both been asked to stand up at a friend's wedding. And you're like, wow, that's such a great honor. I'm glad they asked. Except that you've never left Junior alone before. And all of your family and all of your friends are going to be at that wedding. So you talk to friends, you talk to coworkers, and, and you get a couple of recommendations. And you invite that person to your home, and you begin to interview them and ask them about their experiences and so on. And so far, you've been impressed with their answers. You love that they're going to school for child development. They took a CPR class, and they recently took a course on de-escalating situations. And the interview is going really well. So well, in fact, that you go ahead and arrange the logistics of them watching your child during the wedding, and then you walk that person to the door. And as you're going to the door, you say thank you, and then just, you know, out of curiosity, you ask that person about the goals that they have for when they graduate from the child development program. And they respond, why, yes, I have two goals. And you're thinking, wow, this person is responsible Two goals? Well, then your newly selected babysitter speaks. My first goal is to control my anger so I don't get kicked out of the child development program again. I hated doing that court-mandated de-escalation training. And my other goal is to not to cause a house fire. A house fire? Well, yeah. I, I left the stove on while I was warming a bottle for someone else, and, and when I noticed the fire, I was so high I couldn't remember those three numbers you're supposed to call. Well, it's safe to say that I think the interview took a left turn, and um, you're, never, you're going to move on to person two. In fact, you're probably going to unfriend the person who made that recommendation to you. But I wanted to start there because if we're honest... Many of us have similar goals when it comes to our relationship with God. We know what we've done, and we just want to do better. We really want to be good, 
And we really want to stay out of trouble. But if that's our goal, our version of Christianity is reduced to that interview illustration. For many Christians, their faith is about sin management. Basically, they sin, and then they ask for forgiveness, and then eventually they sin again. And their faith goals are really simple. Stay out of trouble, muster up the energy to just do better, and then when they don't, ask forgiveness. And when we take that reproach, we've reduced Christianity to a bunch of stuff we're going to avoid doing. And God wants to do something way bigger and better in you and through you. So to explain what that is, we're going to go to uh, explore a section of an ancient document, an ancient letter that was written about 2,000 years ago by a pastor named Paul. And Paul traveled, traveled the Mediterranean Rim, and he talked a lot about Jesus, and he planted churches there. And one of the churches he planted was in Greece in a city called Philippi. And 10 years after launching that church, he wrote a letter to them which found its way into our New Testament of the Bible. And I think it's important to note that when he wrote this letter, Paul was in prison at the time in Rome. And in it, Paul presents us with a much better approach to Christianity than just avoiding things. He says this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, I'm going to pause there. Paul is saying that when you became a Christian, God began this good work in you. But life has its twists and its turns, and at times you and I lose our way, right? There's a modern-day author named William Paul Young, and he wrote a book called The Shack, and which that movie, it was later turned into a movie. And he likens it to God being a gardener, a gardener who's invited back to the garden that he originally planted. To find the garden is still there, but neglected over time. It's filled with weeds that are siphoning off the needed water, and it's overgrown, and that's blocking much of the light that the garden needs to thrive. And that garden, our garden, looks wild. It looks like a mess. And over time, that mess catches up with us to a point where we can't see our way forward anymore. And then we cry out to God, God, please step in and just fix it. But God loves us enough to do something way, way more than that. Watch how he sets it up in the movie clip from The Shack. Looking for the way out? Just to be clear, we're not justifying anything. But we'd like to heal it if you'd let us. Before you go, there's something in the garden I was hoping you could help me with before tomorrow's celebration. A celebration? If you want to know, you'll stick around. <laughs> 
This is wild. <laughs> that isn't the word in your head. Okay, this is a mess. It is, isn't it? So beautiful. As Brady said last week, Jesus didn't teach his followers to pray, God, fix it, as a way out of a mess. Instead, like you saw here, invited to follow me. God invites, him to fo- God invites you to follow him into the mess, to see the mess as he sees the mess and to see ourselves as he sees us. Following me is a process a partnering with God. And Paul wants to remind those early Christians of the reality that God was, in fact, changing them. He's at work at them. He's growing them. He's helping them identify the weeds and the obstacles that are stunting their growth. And he's inviting us along to work with him and pulling those weeds and taking care of those obstacles. Together, we start making changes. But growth takes time. The end game for Christianity is maturity, and you can't rush maturity. You can cram for an exam, or you can cram for a presentation, but you can't cram for maturity. It's like farming. You plant a seed, and then you wait. You nurture it and watch it grow until it matures. And Paul writes, he said, I'm absolutely confident that God is doing something in you And it's going to take time. And Paul said it starts with God beginning a good work in you. And this is critical. Christianity is an inside-out faith. Christianity is an inside-out faith. God works inside of us to bring something out of us. God wants to do something in you that will eventually come out of you. Christianity is not behavior modification. It's not about being good. It's not about staying out of trouble. Christianity is about renewing our hearts and renewing our minds so that ultimately there's a a different kind of behavior that comes out of us, a new kind of behavior that, that flows from a renewed inside and begins to impact the world around you in unbelievably powerful ways. A few years ago, my sister-in-law went to Sam's Club and she purchased a big case of chicken for an upcoming event that she had, and then they left on vacation without taking it out of the trunk of the car. And when they returned home, they pulled into the garage, and they were smacked in the face by this rank, disgusting odor. And as they searched the garage for what they thought was a dead deer carcass somewhere in there, they noticed it was a lot worse as they got close to the car. And then it all came back to her, and her face turned white, And they popped the trunk, and this rotting mess of meat and maggots was absolutely disgusting. So, to fix the problem, my brother slammed the trunk down. He plugged his nose, he hopped in the car, and he drove to the local car wash, and he ordered the works. Tire shine, the the tri-foam, three-color foam squirts, uh, the undercarriage flush, the tires cleaning, he gave it the works. And he thought, well, that's going to take care of it. It's going to be good. 
Okay. My brother's not that stupid. <laughs> and neither are you. Yet when it comes to our desire to do better, it's easier for us to put on a mask, to clean up our outsides, and deceive ourselves and even others in the short term that we got it together. And that takes energy. It requires that we're on our game every minute of life. And when life gets harder or the things that trigger us pop up in life, we slip and we fall. And if your whole approach to Christianity is, I need to stop this and start that, then you've missed the essence of Christianity. So, what does God want to do in you? He wants to take you through a process to make you more mature and more secure. When you accept the invitation to be a Christ follower, over time you become more mature and more secure. You, you develop a greater sense of confidence. You grow in wisdom and you grow in character. And we learn that our ultimate identity is connected to our creator. And when we're disconnected, we become insecure. We're filled with anxiety, and we live in anxious ways. But when you understand your relationship to your Creator, you feel less anxious, and you experience more peace. A peace that leaps beyond all of your hurts in the past, and it is powerful. God wants more for you than just staying out of trouble. Check out what he says as he continues in his letter. He says, and this is my prayer, that you stay out of trouble and keep your hands to yourself. Okay, he, he doesn't say that. But that's how we pray for our kids, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. What do you pray for you? What do you pray for you? If we're honest... The list of things that we pray for ourselves is often pretty shallow. Help me to get to work on time. Help me to not hit the deer on the way to Keystone in the morning. Help me my boss to like my presentation. Help me to pass the test. Help her to look at me when I look at her. And if we were to put a lot of our prayers up on the big screen, I think we'd embarrass ourselves. Our little prayers are prayed out of our anxieties and our insecurities and our fears. And they're unsatisfying, they're blah, they're mundane, and maybe reflect our faith. But Paul's prayer is way bigger than that. Paul's prayer tips us off to what he views God doing inside of us. And this is how Paul, this is what he, how he really said it. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. I bet you never prayed that for yourself. So what does that even mean? Paul prays for our love, but in a different way than we pray for our love. We, we, pray, for, we pray for love for people who desire to, to love us, who we want to love us. We pray for our kids to love us. And Paul says the epicenter of what God is trying to develop inside of us is a love 
for others. He wants us to learn to love others. He prays that our love for other people would get bigger and bigger. And he doesn't pray for us to get better at following rules. He prays for us to get better at love. And this is a critical distinction. And Paul goes on and he says it. This is the whole thing in context. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul wants us to be blameless in the way we treat other people. He wants us to learn and discern how to get better at loving other people. And have you ever prayed that in your life? Do you know what God is trying to do inside of you and inside of me? He's not trying to make me a better behavior. He's trying to make you a better lover of people. It's going to be expressed in a lot of different ways. And Paul knew that. The essence of Christian maturity is not a love for an invisible God. The essence of Christian maturity is loving people who are difficult to love. That's when you know you're making progress. Many years ago, I started asking God to show me his perspective. As I go into a meeting, maybe with one of you or someone else, or I encounter a problem or, or a tension or I need to make a decision, I pray for God to open my inside eyes to see what he is doing in me, around me, so that I can participate in whatever that is. And maybe your prayer could look something like this. Help me to see as you see and do as you say. God, I want you to do something inside me so that I see people like you see people. And I want, you to, be, I want to behave and I want to respond to them as you would behave and respond to them. In fact, one of the signs of maturity is to see somebody for more than what they just did to you. Rather, you see them as the way God sees them. Maturity is seeing God, as, seeing them as God sees them and then responding accordingly. That's way better than trying to not mess up and stay out of trouble. And here's an amazing thing that will absolutely change your perspective on yourself. Pray that you see you like God sees you. I know I don't see me all the time as God sees me, but if I made that more part of my life, that I would see him, see me as God sees me, that would be amazing. You are way more than someone who's trying not to fail. You, you are someone of promise. You're someone of potential in need of some pruning and maybe a little bit of weeding, yeah, so you can bloom and you can make an unbelievable difference. At Keystone, we talk a lot about following Jesus. As an organization, our purpose is to help people. The reason we exist is to help people find and follow Jesus. And admittedly, we shy away from the word Christian. Rather, we want to be known as Christ followers, people who have found and now follow Jesus. 
So following Jesus is not all about avoiding bad things, and it's, and it's not about doing good things. Then what does following Jesus actually look like? It's all about how you treat one another. That's the sign of spiritual maturity and growth. In fact, one day Jesus looked at a bunch of the religious rulers of the day, uh, Jewish religious people, and he said this. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. He said... If you're going to the temple to apologize to God for something that you've done and you realize that you're sideways with another person in your life, guess what? Jesus said, God can wait. And I I imagine everybody around Jesus just gasped when he said that. What? I don't put God first? And Jesus was saying, put other people ahead of God. And in doing so, you put God first. So it makes sense that Paul would pray, when I pray for you, I pray that your love would grow bigger and better because that's what God wants to develop in you. That's how we honor him, point people to him by loving other people better. Following Jesus isn't primarily about doing what's right. It's about doing what's right for others. Later, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my followers by, by what? Avoiding bad things? No. Doing good things? No. Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. Friends, it's all about love. It's about being good to people. Jesus had no tolerance for good people who weren't good to people. If I'm just focused on me and and my behavior, then my faith is all about me. Let me ask you a question, and then we're going to wrap it up. Isn't it true that you rarely make a mess by doing what's best for other people. Isn't it true that as long as you focused on you, you have the potential to make another mess? To find a way forward, we need to partner with God to complete what he already began in you. And God's trying to move you forward. He's trying to move you beyond you. You're not going to be a better rule keeper. You're going to be a better father. You're not going to be a better rule keeper. You're going to be a better mother. You're not going to be a better rule keeper. You're going to be a better son or daughter. You're not going to be a better rule keeper. You're going to be a better employee or employer. It is not about the rules. It's about accepting an invitation to follow him working together to change you from the inside out.
Here's the promise that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I challenge you to join me in praying that I become more aware of, that I participate in the good work that God desires to bring to completion in each one of us. It's, it's much more than behavior modification. It is life transformation. That's the real journey. That's where the rubber hits the road. Join him in the work he wants to do in you. Would you please stand and join me as we pray? Father, sometimes we feel so deep in a mess that we don't know where to turn. We forget that we're created in your image and that we're something absolutely beautiful. So give us courage to take your invitation to walk into the garden, to see our garden as you see it, so full of potential. And then help us join you in the work of restoring that beauty, the potential that's there and the promise by following you. Your presence in that effort makes all the difference between progress and failure. There are some of us who spent decades just trying to do less bad and to do more good. And I'm glad that you have so much more in store for us. Becoming someone who can see others as you see them, love like you love, and one of the best gifts is to be able to see ourselves like you see us. Help us to enjoy the rest of our weekend as we look forward to the summer to come. Give us courage to spend some time working on our gardens with you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a holiday weekend. I thought I'd let you go early. Look at that. Six minutes early. Have fun. Enjoy. We'll see you next week.